Welcome to the Ag Emerge podcast, brought to you by Ag Solutions Network. Your farming challenges are unique, so your practices should be too. We're here to share emerging ideas, build connections, and provoke conversation. Get ready to improve your soil, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm your producer, Kim Chase. And I'm your host, Monty Bottens. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening today. In case you didn't know, Ag Solutions Network entered the soil health game with biologicals almost two decades ago. We've seen farmers and our dealer network successfully impact more and more acreage with a soil health first approach. In 2019, Ag Emerge began as an event idea where we gathered some awesome speakers along with a dynamic group of growers to really challenge old paradigms, and have conversations that resulted in system changes. Since the Ag Emerge events, we've expanded learning opportunities to our Ag Emerge podcast. You can find podcast episodes and all of the previous Ag Emerge event speakers on our Ag Solutions YouTube channel, linked in the show notes. As the end of 2021 approaches, we're excited to bring you this podcast with some new content from a summer meeting where Monty Bottens talks about how ASN's Power to Grow system enables principle-based farming. And we've included some fun clips from the past year. Today's collection of podcast clips brings you thought-provoking discussions from people who change the way they see things when it comes to soil health. Our discussions come from growers, researchers, entrepreneurs, and other thought leaders who are passionate about all of the aspects of regenerative agriculture. And we bring you people who've made life-changing decisions to improve not only their soil health, but their personal health. So let's get started. So we talked about this the other day on the bus very first thing. Power growth system was, was a given. It enables principal farming. Okay, five soil health principles. Conventional farming is using mechanical and chemical technologies to reduce plant stress and improve yield. Okay, that's what we've done. John Deere reduced plant stress when he invented the self-scouring plow to be able to take out prairie competition and, and turn over the soil and make nutrients available. And we really have been doing the same thing since he moved here in 1848. It's just been faster, wider, better, more controlled, and now it drives your tractor automatically, right? So what we're looking at is really the biological revolution in agriculture. We're using biological technologies to enable the plant defense mechanisms and improve soil at the same time. So, you know, you can look at it in the first year where you come into a field, greatly reduce the need for applied insecticides, pesticides, fungicides. And then over time, the soil begins to improve. And as that soil improves, the signaling improves. And that signaling helps the plant become more and more resilient. The first year is a huge step. The second year is, you know, it just keeps getting better as the soil continues to improve. So our approach then essentially is to allow for short-term yield stability to increase while reducing conventional inputs. A lot of you heard that today. I'm using half as much nitrogen. I'm using this, that kind of thing. And that's, that's true. We can reduce those inputs, do cost offsets, maintain or improve yields, maintain or improve quality while reducing overall other conventional inputs. But long 
term is where the exciting part is at. We should have showed the picture of that soil plug we took the other day. How long did that take to make that difference? That one is two years. Two years? Yeah, two years. Wow, that's yeah. an amazing change. Well, that's awesome. So you can make that kind of change in over long term. That change will continue to improve. Not as dramatically as it did in the first two years. I mean, it won't be pulled black in two more years, yeah. but it'll continue to maintain that and get better. And that's really what we're looking to do. Provide a system that can allow you to go into those biomass cover crops that are tying things up, that allow you to go into till no-till situations and allow you to utilize manure resources better, better conversion. You know, typically we can get accelerate the degradation of manure to make more manure available the first year. So these kind of things are, are all important to improve resilience. Now, here's some clips from some of the podcasts over the past year. It's all about just stimulating curiosity. I think if we all just like thought about what we're doing and just had some curiosity, like, hmm, what if I did this just a little bit differently? Then you'll go down a rabbit hole and then eventually test some things out and make changes. And I think everybody is everybody can can have curiosity. It whether you don't own the land, whether you're like in debt whether you're working an off-farm job or whether you are like a 10,000 acre farmer owner operator, all of those different systems really can just try one thing, even just start thinking about it, whether you actually test it out, but obviously it's more fun to test it out. So, you know, all, all of our, all of our programming is all about stimulating curiosity and just getting farmers to talk to each other and landowners to talk to each other and whoever the peers are to talk to each other to like, test and noodle something and think about ways to change because you know if we just keep implementing the recipes we've always been implementing you know that's the definition of being crazy like assuming we're going to get changes like we're not (laughs) so we've got to try something else here we got a water quality problem then we probably got to try something that's going to help address that but what the data is showing is that plants recruit microbes and those consortia of microbes uh, that are associated with plants often can be pretty stable. There is an environment and genetic interaction, plant and environment for sure. But more and more breeders are gonna have to look at what they're doing on breeding because it's the plant that's signaling the microbes. And what tools can we implement and what systems and what rotations can we implement on our farms that are gonna improve that microbial life in the soil? Because that's where the carbon currency gets exchanged. That's where the the, uh, soil crop interface takes place. It's all with that microbial life. Well, it all fits together. Weeds, insects, and diseases are all connected to the soil. And over time, as you work with it, you're going to see changes, and you should be for the better if you're, you're managing right. The approach to no-till that we are using is as a phase in a rotation. So you could think of it as a tool. Um, it, it allows us to minimize what I, what I call, um, you know, whacking the hornet's nest. Whenever you till, you wake up lots of weeds, and so... You know, that can be an important part of weed control, to wake up weeds that you're going to then terminate, but you, you're committed to trying to control lots of weeds once you have whacked the hornet's nest. I personally believe that a, a lot of these regenerative solutions that we're talking about, they need to scale, right? Correct. If, if we can't scale to 500 or 1,000 acres, then it's not, I don't, 
I don't want to be in solutions that don't scale to at least that level, which will take that family owned farm that wants to keep going. They got 500 acres or something like that. It's really hard to, to compete. There's no opportunity to grow. There's no land to expand on. They have to think different. What's an alternative way of doing things? We at least have to get to that level of scale. Plants produce this huge array of other kinds of compounds. They come under broad headings like terpenes, phenolics, alkaloids. And these, these get into, they're an integral part of plants. They're an integral part of when animals are foraging on pasture, they become a part of the, the meat and fat and they give a, a unique flavor, but also they add huge health benefits to those foods. And what we've done then is to select against those. We selected for quantity as opposed to nutritional density and nutrient density being not only energy, protein, minerals, and vitamins and so forth, but these rich array of, of other kinds of compounds. Uh, and we've done that with fruits, vegetables, and meat. So that's one thing that's happened. Absolutely. So I'm originally trained as a human nutrition scientist with an, uh, with an interest in, uh, in, uh, in human physiology, specifically uh, uh, muscle metabolism, but also whole body metabolism and uh, how the foods that we eat can... Uh, can, can impact our health and, uh, and our muscle mass. And uh, a lot of my work was focused on, uh, on some of the secondary metabolites in, in the whole food matrix, uh, particularly in, in foods such as uh, uh, meat and milk and eggs, but also in, in plant proteins. And what I found in my work was an important role of these, these what we sometimes call secondary metabolites, though I don't really like to call them secondary because it implies they're not important. And they, they certainly are. Um, I found a role for, for these bioactive compounds in, uh, in improving uh, muscle mass, but also metabolic health. So then naturally I got interested in it. Now, what is the way that we can improve the, the presence of these bioactive compounds in food? And that is obviously from the ground up through, through food production, agricultural production. But I do think it's important to, to become connected again with your farmer and, and local food systems to just know where your food comes from. I think that's probably the best way of, uh, of, of trying to... Uh, find some of these connections uh, with, uh, with how your food is raised and, uh, and, and uh, what ends up uh, subsequently on your plate. Just to put this in the bigger picture also, is that we may have cheap grocery bills, but mind you, the cost of cleaning up water supplies, of, of cleaning up soils, of, of cleaning up degraded lands, you and I are gonna end up paying for this as the consumer, right? So we do not see this in our, uh, in our grocery bill, but we do see it in our water bill when the water supply has to be cleaned up because that is passed down back onto us. So, and that is sort of the true food of cost or the negative externalization of, 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 of food cost. Yeah, so well, the biggest aha moment must say coming back to the fact that there are so many different plant compounds in, uh, in, in, in animal food. So that was uh, definitely eye-opening because, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there are some farmers that are, are aware of that and, and some scientists that are aware of that, but even, even amongst the scientific community and let alone the consumer, yeah, we don't think of, uh, we don't associate that with, uh, with animal foods, right? So uh, I think that was also my biggest aha moment, uh, seeing all these, all these phytochemicals appear. And uh, as, as a farmer, trying to introduce biodiversity as much as possible, uh, mixed crops and, and, and spreading the risk. And there's more research coming out that this may improve yields too. And, and sort of our small piece of that is that, uh, because I'm, I must admit, I'm not a farmer, so uh, uh, Please don't take, take my advice for it. But what I can tell you is that these practices do also seem to appear uh, 
improve the nutrient density of the products that are uh, that are produced. So I think that's uh, an important thing to, uh, and if that also seems to appear to have uh, beneficial effects on yield and, and spreading risk and profitability of the farmer, because you can often cut back on your chemical bill generally, or at least that's what uh, most of the farmers we work with uh, tell me. They, they, uh, most of their money is made on the money that's not spent. So uh, yeah, so in the next three years, what we're doing is uh, we're working with several uh, farmers and we're gonna uh, really try to find or, or if, there's, if it is there or if there's an absence thereof, we're objectively testing that. But the, the, the hypothesis of our study is that uh, if we have, uh, that there's a, a connection between soil health, plant health, nutrient density of meat and human health. So what we're doing is we're doing metabolomics on soil samples. We're overlaying that with the plant sample. We're overlaying that with the meat sample. We're overlaying that with the human plasma sample because you often hear uh, anecdotally this connection of healthy soils equals healthy humans. But there has not been, uh, to my knowledge, any study done that has really looked at this in, in the, alongst uh, the same continuum because and that's coming back to working in academic silos, which is uh, uh, something that's happened in the past, is that you have maybe livestock scientists on, on one hand or animal scientists or, or ecologists on one hand that there is indication to suggest that, hey, animals that graze more nutrient-dense soils have more, maybe more vitamins and minerals in their meat. But then we have the human nutrition scientists on one hand that, that have worked on things, but virtually every study that has been done with grass-fed beef has not really linked that back to the way the animal was raised, right? So uh, it's just saying, oh, aggressive beef and it was finished on that, but it's not really a good insight into uh, what was the soil health of, of, of uh, uh, what the animal, the pasture that the animal was raised on. What was the plant diversity and what uh, compounds did the plants contain? So we're really trying to overlay those and that will be something that we work on in the next uh, several years. And, and I, I think to uh, switch now to the farmer side and production side, you know, we've always been focused on yield, okay, whether that's, you know, milk pounds per day or uh, pounds of grain harvested per acre or, or meat pounds uh, gained per day. You know, that's always been our metric because we didn't know these other things existed. And really, the market has yet to put a value on the secondary metabolites and all the other nutritional things. And, and it is a common practice to, in the dairy industry, for example, dry matter intake is to be maximized. So in other words, the total volume and calories that the animal eats, we try to maximize dry matter intake in order to maximize milk output. And, and that's a very common thing. We did go down the road with a, a local company here called AgriKing that focuses on satiety. So meeting mineral nutrition needs and other types of needs to decrease the dry matter intake per day so that we improve feed efficiency. Okay, that was their goal. So rather than having 54 pounds of dry matter intake, can we get the same milk production with 48 pounds of dry matter intake as an example? And uh, so it can be done both ways. We can change those diets for those animals to cause them to overeat or to, you know, eat more of a quote unquote what we think is a balanced diet. But I, I think, you know, that's, that's where the industry's at today, right? So, you know, that's how we're getting uh, uh, paid as a conventional farmer is, is for pounds and, and for production. Your gut is your second brain. If your gut is healthy, your brain is healthier. And the correlations I can make between soil health and human health, nutrient density in soil for plants and, and, and children's nutrient density were so similar. I mean, children are not plants, 
but the nutritional needs, immune function, growth, all that stuff, there's so many crossovers. I was astounded. For example, during the pandemic, how much do we hear about nutrition? It, there was this gaping hole, this paucity of information. You boost your immune function by what you eat. There are certain foods that are very good. I'm not even talking about supplements. I'm talking about your nutrition to boost your immune function. And that's all about what I'm looking at right now is soil, microbiome, and gut health. We need a familial cultural food shift. And the only way that can happen is a partnership between practitioners, folks like me, and the growers, folks like you. And we need to be in conversation, community, collaboration, this idea that there are farmers over there, practitioners over here, and we don't meet is crazy. Well, a little bit about uh, me personally. I grew up on uh, our family farm. So it was a conventional uh, farrow to finish hog operation uh, back in the 80s, I think is when dad bought uh, the, the farm. So I grew up working on the farm as a conventional operation. And uh, let's see here, right out of, I, I always I mean, I swore I, I would not stay on the farm and I was serious about it. I, I, it was not something I thought I would be doing very long at all. Um, it was right out of high school, got married age 19 and uh, worked a few odd jobs. I want to say it was, um, uh, it was around 2010 when, um, oh, it was before that actually, I, I, I could notice that with my family starting to diversify. So my dad and mom decided uh, this conventional farming thing, one, didn't, didn't have much future for our family to be involved. I mean, I have, I have six other uh, brothers, so there's seven of us all together. Um, wasn't a lot of opportunity for us at the same time. This would have been mid nineties. My mom was diagnosed with a very severe autoimmune condition. Uh, led my parents down the road of just really immersing themselves into health and wellness, diet, nutrition. You're, there really is so much to learn there. Um, and they got to the point where they did not believe in what they're doing uh, with the conventional farming operation that they had. And so they, they made some major pivots. Um, and those pivots really actually uh, opened up opportunities for the rest of us brothers to to get involved in the family farm. One of those major pivots they made was towards direct marketing. And growing up through high school, that was a, that was a keen interest of mine. Was, at that time, it was called internet marketing, where you built, you know, designed websites and, and tr worked on your SEO strategy. Uh, now it's so much more than that. Um, but that was, that was my interest, and that's what I wanted to do. And I, I really took an interest in what my parents were doing here and the, the involvement I could have with, with marketing. So I think I was 14 actually when I coded the first website for Seven Sons. It was just an HTML, very simple website, but it, it did the trick. I mean, uh, you know, it, it was, it put us kind of on the forefront. We did identify early on the internet marketing, digital marketing was an opportunity gap in, in the local food uh, direct-to-consumer business. So we really put a lot of focus there. So that allowed me to actually come back to the farm um, full-time. Uh, I was probably 22 when I was able to come back to the farm full-time. Uh, since then, uh, my wife and I now have five kids. Uh, we live on the farm. Uh, all six of my other brothers, including my parents, are involved full-time. So all seven of us are here. We have a team of about 30 
30 equivalent full-time staff on the farm. And mind you, we're only 550 acres. So there's a lot of diversity and a lot of value added opportunities that uh, from web developers, software developers, and then, you know, everything, all the talents that are needed for the farm side of things. Uh, we really have a very diverse uh, team of people here. And we feel very blessed and we're having a lot of fun. Uh, us brothers comment, knock on wood, we get along better now than we ever did. Um, and that's with multiple families involved, which is a, which is a feat in itself and a trick that um, uh, that's difficult for many families and, and, um, and that we don't take that for granted. It's something that we do have to work at all the time, but we're having a, a great time. We have, uh, there's three main, I don't know how much you want me to explain at this point, but we have three main livestock enterprises. We have the grass-fed cattle. We mainly just finished. We buy in heavy uh, feeders each spring. We finish those by fall, late winter, about 200, 250 head of cattle per year. Uh, last year, we finished around a thousand pasture-raised hogs and we run about 10,000 lane hens that uh, during the growing season, we move to fresh paddocks every day. We've got a lot of YouTube videos that kind of show how that's done. And 80% of everything we produce on the farm and work with with other producers is sold direct to the consumer. So about 20% of our business is wholesale. So that, that kind of gives you a little bit of background with myself, how I got involved in the farm and kind of where we are with the overall operation. Well, we're, we're really focused on um, how we can take, you know, we, we've been focused the last five years on how we took this technology piece called graze cart and how do we get it out to more farms. So now what we're seeing is the, the gap is in the information. So, so what I gave you a fence post and a, and a reel of, of, of wire and, and, you know, you've got to understand the intricacies of how to move cattle and, and uh, you know, figure your stock densities. Well, on the same side on the marketing, we provided a great tool uh, but we really want to focus in the next five years of mentoring farms when it comes to marketing um, and, and coming alongside them in that way. Uh, our, before 2020, we had a kind of, we set a vision for the whole team uh, to get around 20 million pounds of regenerative food uh, delivered to consumers by the year 2023. Uh, we've hit that goal already. So we need to set a higher, we need to set a higher goal. <laughs> we thought that would really challenge us. Now COVID really, really helped that. Uh, but ultimately, we're, we're going to measure the success as we move forward by how many pounds of food that we're disrupting in the food system. And that's really at the heart of what we're doing is, is changing the food system. And we are, you know, you're changing it uh, over there in Illinois. Every, every time that a customer buys directly from us, we've changed the food system of each customer uh, right, there and, right there and then. And just duplicating that process uh, is where we're going to be laser focused. And again, we... We, we don't care to take over uh, the country with shipping meat directly to consumers' homes. We want to see more, more farms like Seven Sons everywhere. I want to dive in just a little bit more what you said earlier on the fact, and, and we, we kind of skipped over it, but 500, and 500 or 550 acre farm, yes, right? Yes, yep. 30 full-time equivalent employees. Mm -hmm. What kind, um, this is one of the unintended benefits, I think, of regenerative agriculture and soil health. So when we capture all that value ladder, like uh, you said there, and, and we keep it at the farm. What kind of an impact has that had in your local community there with the it, 30 employees? Yes, it's, it's had a big impact um, just from youngsters, that neighbor kids and youngsters that are helping out on the egg business side from, uh, you know, our, 
we started developing grace cart a good friend of mine um they grew up with grew up on our farm he was delivering i think water for kelligan water company and he said hey let me take a stab at helping you you solve some of these challenges on the development side of things he wasn't a developer you know four years later uh he's he's went you know from just a regular job to you know a six-figure income uh just because of the skill sets he's learning on the farm for software development um so it you know, that's, and that's something we always ask ourselves, any decision we make, how is it impacting, um, you know, the farm economically, how's it affecting the farm, you know, uh, uh, from the environmental standpoint, but then how is it affecting the, the social community around our farm? I think helping this younger generation view farming, not from the perspective of a commodity producer is the best thing we can do, Bingo. you know, and, and I think that they're all in a position to do it because they live in a world that is so foreign to us you know we we don't even understand all the ways they can succeed that that they have access to that we don't even know exist that's the difference now um in the ecdysis model is that we can pivot to working on things that we believe are so important based on conversation that i have today with you uh that i that i have at a field day with a group of farmers that are clustered together talking about a problem that no one's addressed before. And we can and we can pivot to that and start making plans to answer those questions that day or the next day. You know, we've got a group of farmers here that are all wondering the same thing. Hey, who's willing to uh, host a, a couple of research uh, fields? You know, and, and that's the beauty. We don't have to spend this year working on uh you know writing up a grant proposal for that specific uh project and then hoping that we find a granting institution that kind of has a call for proposals that kind of sort of fits the project but maybe not quite as much so that's it's a huge benefit that we have in, in our organization is being able to move quickly uh, and, and be dynamic. We've kind of transitioned, we've added in several crops, kind of trying to increase our diversity and just trying to make cover crops work a lot more and like just trying to build our soil health and our, and our profitability, just even from a grazing perspective, we're outwintering cattle a lot more. It's, it's definitely a really cool movement, the soil health movement where people are, aren't doing it on their own. Like there's a lot of collaboration and idea sharing. I'd just say that, you know, maintain a lot of hope in the American farmer and, and uh, that we are at a time in life that we can still figure this out and, and we can give our kids a pretty bright future. Um, we just need to give a little pause and, and, and uh, continue to make our best better, you know, continue to, to understand things. And if there's things that we learned that Maybe we don't feel good about, that's okay. But what's important is we figure out ways to, to improve. It's about that continuous improvement and learning new things and, and, and having failures too. I always stress, you know, sometimes I worry even when I see our kids in school, you know, we don't let anyone fail anymore. And I think that, uh, you know, constructive failure is a pretty important part of learning. You, you raise a good point. You know, we, we humans, we, we want to silo things. We want to silo knowledge, you know. If you're a, a plant pathologist, you won't know everything there is to know about plant disease and probably don't know much about anything else. And that's certainly true with knowledge, but it's also true with functionality. You know, if, you, if you're a farmer 
understand it. But you're a farmer. And you know, if somebody else says, well, I'll, I'll take it and process it for you, that's what you want to hear. And if somebody else says, well, I'll, I will market it for you. And somebody says, I'll distribute it for you. These are things you want to hear because it allows you to do what you're good at. But remember, those people aren't doing it to help you. They're, they're doing it, and there's nothing wrong with it. They're doing it to profit. So if you were, if you were growing it, processing it, marketing it, distributing it, you get a hundred cents out of every dollar. You'd have to spend some of it for the processing and all that. But then, of course, you mentioned, I think, uh, 14 cents. Isn't that right? You know what, you know what farmers... And, and basically, what you've done is bought a lot of convenience. But the, the shield and sword that we have are authenticity and transparency. And uh, the, the tourism, if that's what you want to call it, business we got, allows us to put what we do on open uh, demonstration. And that is, that's good for our business. I'm happy to say that after years and years of working on the forages and, and, and changing the farming of growing these animals and, and tweaking the genetics, improving the genetics a little bit uh, each year by, by selection with, with uh, animals that do the best on, on grass. We've, we've gone exactly in the opposite direction to the industry. Uh, instead of working on more toward corn fed, we've never used corn uh, in, in our product. So, you know, people tell me that they really like what we've done with our animal welfare, what we've done with uh, uh, our regenerative program. And I always confess to them and say, this was not my original intention. My intention, as with the... Uh, Poulet Rouge was the best tasting, best flavor that I could find in the world. Same thing with the cattle. I wanted the best steak that could possibly be uh, produced. And I believed at the time that if we did it completely naturally, like nature, I hate to say nature intended, but in harmony with nature, in fact, we call our program Honest with Nature, uh, that we should be able to, to produce cattle that were grass and forage fed and were actually better than corn fed. And <clears throat> I can now say before, in order to produce the best and most flavorful animal, we had to have forages that were diverse, not a monoculture, not just grass, not a local grass like a fescue, but we, we now plant about 18 or more different species of plants in the pastures. And we have cool season and, and warm season. And we rotate the cattle. There's a very uh, defined managed plan on uh, and moving these cattle. And I just realized that we were in the regenerative. We were, we were a part of regenerative agriculture, a thing that was kind of taking over. And again, I didn't do it to be, you know, to, to get into regenerative agriculture so I could hang another tag or label on my product. I was going for flavor. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, this whole journey that I've been on has become a passion for me. And, yeah. and, and I've been blessed to have found something like this that I have a passion for because uh, years ago when we were in the distribution business and basically distributing commodity products, there was a time when I uh, really didn't enjoy coming to work. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, you know, I knew I had to make some changes. I wanted to make some changes for me 
from a professional standpoint and and from a motivational standpoint and also uh, to try to make some changes in the industry. So uh, I'm one of those lucky people that looks forward to going to work every day. Our mantra in our restaurant is we don't preach to anybody. First of all, we have to seduce them with flavor. And if they eat a dish and they are like, oh my God, this is so good. I'm open to hearing how this is so good. Cause I like I, people say I eat in a lot of restaurants and I don't taste anything this good. So man, we can start right on the, down the path about one of the farmers that produced what you have on your plate there. And like our relationship with them as partners in our restaurant, that's a really important thing for us. And so it, we have seduced them with the flavor, which means that now they're open to hearing all the stuff. If we, advertise ourselves as a farm to table restaurant or as an organic restaurant it we're putting the wrong emphasis in my way of thinking all restaurants should be farm to table restaurants as far as i'm concerned no matter what cuisine it is that they're doing and everybody should be supporting regenerative agriculture Well, that was fun. Hearing Monty talk about how the Power to Grow system enables principle-based farming and then revisiting some of the great discussions from the past year. As you know, at ASN and with our Ag Emerge content, we don't just talk about what our speakers are doing. We talk about how they are making it work. And we don't sugarcoat it. We discuss pain points, struggles, and failures too. We think it's so important to remember that there will be ups and downs that pave the way to victory. So don't let those hard knocks stop you on this journey. The great news is more and more growers are adopting soil health practices, and we're all building networks to help each other adopt these systems by sharing ideas, strategies, and practices that work. It seems no one is holding their cards close to their vest when it comes to regenerative agriculture, and we're all eager to help others get on board. And as always, if you'd like to learn more about what we're doing to help growers implement soil health practices, check out our website at asn.farm, and there you can click on links to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. There's a lot of great things happening and always something to learn. Thanks for listening.